You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Today's passage comes from Colossians 1, 13 through 23. I'll be reading out of the NASB today. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything." For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. My name's Daniel Grell. I'm a member here. I've been here for about a, a year. You might have not seen me recently. You're wondering, am I skipping church? I actually have not been in church since the middle of February. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, when you have five children, they complicate your life even when they're old. Uh, we begin uh, the middle of February visiting his son just north of San Diego and his family at the end of that trip. We got notice from our daughter on the East Coast, New Hampshire, that she was having an emergency C-section because the baby was in distress, so we immediately flew from California to New Hampshire and were out there assisting her family with uh, needs after that, uh, the surgery. Baby and daughter are doing fine returned, and I was on a, a men's discipleship uh, backpacking trip. Uh, I'm part of a ministry that uh, helps men become men through backpacking, and then out of that, uh, recovering from a, an accident I had. So finally back here with you. Uh, Pastor Tim is out of town at a memorial service I was surprised uh, last week as I was watching television to see a news story about a man whose business is building doomsday bunkers. <laughs> the reason they highlighted him was because his business is booming, <laughs> not bombing, his business is booming. It's a reminder that 
we, we live in a very uncertain period of time in the history of our world. A lot of people are living in fear, uncertainty. Is a man like Putin, uh, is he going to use nuclear weapons? You know, he is prideful. He does not want to lose inflation, gas prices, and then we're hearing of potential food shortages around the world. You know, you know, when you stop and put all of those things together, and maybe there's a little reason for being uncertain. Life is fragile. It can change in the twinkling of an eye. The Ukrainian people certainly found that out as the Russian troops just overnight moved in to try to take over their land. But you know, you don't need invading armies, increasing fuel prices and those kinds of things to realize how fragile life is. It's uncertain. In the twinkling of an eye, things can change. I've had two, what I guess I would call life and death experiences. One was about four years ago when we were still living down in the city. I had just parked my blue Divi bike and wanted to catch the bus that was across the street. And so I made a mad dash for that bus, but I was coming from behind a parked truck. I couldn't see what was coming. And the man in the van who was barreling down on me couldn't see me running out in front of him. And all I could do was put my hands up and his eyes got wide as saucers. And I think he came to a stop just about the time he hit me. All I can remember is I was laying in the gutter. Fortunately, I still had my bike helmet on. And actually, what I thought of, oh, for me to live is Christ, but die to gain. I I don't know. That's what came to my mind. I mean, I really could have lost my mind. The accident I said I am recovering from was a result of being on this uh, men's discipleship ministry backpacking trip. I was in Kentucky about two and a half weeks ago and uh, at the Red River Gorge. And about 2.30 in the morning on this, this hiking venture out to the first camp of the night, we needed to cross a, a small river, a large creek, and did not want to take our shoes off again. That's complicated with backpacks and heavy socks and shoes. And so there was a tree that had fallen down over the river And others were walking across that, and so I thought, well, I can do that too. And so I walked across there, and I had about one step left to go, and I lost my balance, and I I fell 12 feet down, hitting half on the bank and half in the river. The thing that really saved me was I fell on my backpack, so it was kind of a cushion. But my leg and hip... If you saw a picture of it, no lie, my entire left side was absolutely black and blue. It's still somewhat painful. Again, the verse that came to me was, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
life is, is fragile. So in light of that, where, where can we find some stability, comfort, uh, security, hope, safety? Well, I take you to Psalm 46, 1 through 3, to start with. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, in the midst of a world that is absolutely chaotic, God's Word says God is our refuge and strength. And so that's where we find this hope, this security, this certainty, this safety. Proverbs 18.10 puts it this way, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. So these two texts remind us the way we find stability, comfort, hope, and safety in life is to find it in God, who is our refuge in strength, in the name of the Lord. He is the tower we run to for safety. But I want to point out to you something very important here, because it says the righteous run into it for safety. Uh, that means, yeah, the Lord, in a, in a sense, in his gracious mercy, has some general safety and care of all of the world, but to know the intimacy of Christ and his tender mercy and care on a one-on-one relationship, that is for those who are righteous, those who are true followers of Jesus Christ, those who have had their sins cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if that does not describe you, then ultimately you cannot find the safety, the security, the certainty, the stability that you might like in a troubled world. This is a promise for true children of God. 22 years ago, at the turn of the century, I was just celebrating my 50th birthday. <laughs> and, and so here, we were going through one of those strange times. Does anyone remember Y2K? <laughs> For those of you who are older, you know what I'm talking about. There was uncertainty in the world again. And, you know, so I'm thinking, okay, you know, I've had a great 50 years, Lord. What's the next 50 years look like for me? What's the world going to be like? And so I was directed to do this as part of my devotions. I, I, I concluded I needed to think upon God, who he was in his promises. And so for one year, every day, I read Ephesians 1 because it is a concise description of all the blessings we have from God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful blessings. 
And then I also looked at Colossians 1, which is an excellent and very concise explanation, declaration of who God is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I wanted to find hope in the promises of God and in the character of Christ. And that's where we need to go if we want to truly find hope, stability, security, all of those things. So this morning, I don't know if you you have, you know, uh, an application out there to build a doomsday bunker or not, but I want to bring some thoughts on this refuge that we can run to if, if we know Christ as our Savior. So we're going to look at Colossians 1, 13 through 29 because we discover that the only place we're going to find hope in a dark world is in the person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the one and only one who can make us righteous so that we have the ability to run to this tower for safety. And in this text, we discover his sufficiency, um, his ability, he's able to qualify us to run to this tower. And we discover in his character that it is because of his power, his authority, and his sufficiency. Now when I say that, that, that's an amazing statement. Verse 12, it says we are qualified, look at that, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now what does it mean to qualify someone? It it means that uh, you have the right, you have the privilege, uh, it's, it's something that is for you. You have been qualified like uh, in a race. It says he had a qualifying time. That means he can be in the, fa- the final race. Or he qualified for the, the finals. And this in itself is an amazing statement because of what people are described like in verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, so we are qualified even though this is what we're described as. We're alienated. That means we we moved away from God. We're separated from him. Hostile in mind. That means, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what God says and have done evil deeds. Gossip, gluttony, selfish, inhospitable, all kinds of sins out there. When when I think about my life over the years, you know what? There have been times I was alienated, hostile, and doing evil deeds, and quite frankly, I, I was no more qualified for heaven and its privileges than, say, a pedophile to work in a daycare center or a rapist to work in a girl's dorm as a dorm parent or 
Hitler to teach a special ed class. So how is it being described in verse 21 as alienated, hostile, and evil that I'm now qualified for the inheritance of heaven? What's well, because of verse 13 and 14? For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is how we are qualified. First of all, we've been redeemed. That, that means the price for sin has been paid. Secondly, we've been forgiven. That means God now has changed his attitude about us, and because we've been redeemed and we have been forgiven, now we have been transferred. No longer are we living in the domain of Satan and his control, but now we live in the kingdom of God, and Christ is our king. All of this hangs on Christ and who he is. He is the one who qualifies us. So how is it he's able to? Well, first of all, he's able to qualify us because of his power. We see who he is in our text here and what he's like and what he's able to do. And uh, verse 15 tells us he is God. Jesus Christ is God. He is fully God. He is God come in the flesh. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, you might think, well, this, he, he represents God. Like, like uh, you know, if you could look at my uh, family photos here, I have five married children and 14 grandchildren. Okay. This is just a picture of them. This is not them in person. So we need to be careful when we read this text, he is the image of the invisible God, to not think it as, oh, he just represents God. No, it means much more than that. It means that the invisible God has become visible in the person of Jesus Christ. There are other verses that help us understand this. Verse 19, look at that. All the fullness of the deity dwells in him. If you turn over to Colossians 2, 9, it says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 14, 9 through 10, Jesus says these amazing words. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. So when it says here, he is the image of the invisible God, we need to understand uh, that Jesus is God come in the flesh, and therefore, all the attributes that we know are in God the Father are also in God the Son. And one of those attributes 
is omnipotence, being all-powerful. Look at verse 16 to describe the omnipotence of Jesus Christ. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And so we see his omnipotence in his ability to create. Now this verse, the way it's written, is very important to know that twice it speaks of him as the creator. At the beginning of the verse, for by him all things were created. And then at the end of the verse, all things have been created by him and for him. That means that the Holy Spirit is indicating to us that this is a very important truth to understand. Anytime it repeats itself in statements, it says, hey, pay attention. Look at the magnitude, the, the omnipotence of his creative power. Verse 16, no matter where it is, in heaven and in earth. That means the distant planet of Pluto or the waters of the five great lakes. No matter what it is, visible or invisible, the mighty mountains of Colorado or the unseen power in the atom. This next one's hard to understand. No matter who it is, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, that means Biden, Putin, Zelensky, Trump, Margaret Thatcher, Stalin, Hitler. Christ created all of them. Now, I don't understand this one, but that's what declares here. And then notice, it also says it's a sustaining power, not just a creative power, but a sustaining power. All things hold together. That means if Jesus removed his hand from creation, wow, we'd be gone. We would be no more. We need to put some word pictures together of this creative power that... Christ has. In Job chapter 38, 39, an excellent declaration of of the uh, ability to create and, and how it took place. Job chapter, just Job is just before Psalm. Job, uh, I'm going to highlight a few things here, but those two chapters are all about the creative hand of God. 38, verse 8. Who enclosed the sea with its doors when bursting forth it went out from the, the, uh, the earth? Uh, in creation, God established the boundaries of the ocean. Uh, Chapter 38, verse 12, it speaks of the ongoing consistency of the dawn. I mean, if if you're a walker along Lake Michigan there, you know, without a doubt, the sun is going to pop up. (laughs) Doesn't matter. It's going to pop up. And it even changes, you know, slowly as the the world changes uh, its rotation. Chapter 38, verse 25 who has cleft a channel for the flood or a way for the thunderbolt? 
Wow, when you see that, a lightning, electricity, thunderbolt go across the sky, wherever it goes is where Christ has established it to go. Chapter 39, verse 19 speaks of the power of the horse. Chapter 39, 26, the ability of a hawk to soar. How is it those big, heavy birds can fly? Just flap their wings and they fly. Yeah. All of these things speak to the magnitude, the omnipotence of Christ's creative ability as God come in the flesh. But it's also, he's able to, not just he has the power, but he's able to do anything. Uh, In Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, or all of that area, we, we have a discussion about a rich man not being able to get into the kingdom of God. It just seems impossible for rich people. Uh, but Jesus says, uh, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are, are possible. Uh, we might never think a man or a woman can change their character, but God, God changes us. It says he qualifies us in fact, if you're here and you do not know Christ as, as your Savior, uh, I want you to know he, he can transform you. He can qualify you. Uh, don't think that in verse 21 when it says alienated, you're thinking, you know what, I've lived, man, I've lived these many years away from God and I've had absolutely no interest in him. The last thing I, I've wanted to do is follow him. Or verse 21 says, hostile in mind. You know what? If I knew it was wrong, I did it and I loved it. <laughs> I've been angry with my parents and anyone who tries to get near me, I push them off. Hostile in mind. Uh, verse 21, engaged in evil deeds. Yeah, I've committed adultery. I've had sex out of marriage. In fact, I I sleep around all the time. I've been involved in pornography. I've cheated. How could Christ transform me? Verse 22 says, he has reconciled you. Thinking back to the fact that, that Christ can get rich men into heaven, he says, Matthew 19, 26, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so never let Satan trick you into thinking you are too bad for God to forgive you. And you've committed such grievous acts against God that he would never forget you, forgive you. But scripture is very clear that God can qualify you through God come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, because of who he is. He is God. It's all about who Jesus is that he has the power to qualify us before God, for he is God. Not only is he omnipotent, but he also has the authority to qualify us. Uh, Look at the exalted position he holds as established in verses 15, 16, and 17. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is is preeminent. He has always been. 
the Trinity has always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before anything else was, Jesus was. And verse 16, notice his authority given over creation. All things have been created by him and for him. He has full authority over his creation. And so because you are his creation, he can do with you as he pleases. And he can qualify you. Uh, Romans 9, 15 through 21 speak of the potter and the clay and how the potter takes clay and transforms it into a vessel, either clean or unclean. Christ can make us into that clean vessel. He has authority over creation and he can transform you so that you are no longer separated from God. So he has the authority. He's also the head of the church. Verse 18, it says, he's the head of the church. That means he brings whoever he wants to into the community of fellowship here. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and and, uh, 47, where it's describing the early church and how it was growing, every time it grew a bunch of people, it says, so then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 47, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. He is the head of the church. Whoever he wants to be part of this church, he adds them. He has that authority. And then we we also see his authority uh, in the healing of the paralytic who was let down down on a stretcher through the middle of the the room, through the ceiling there. And uh, it's interesting in his action with the interaction with the Pharisees, they hear him say, hey, uh, get up and your your sins are forgiven. And, And they say, how can you have authority forgive sins? And Jesus says in in, uh, verses 23 and 24, which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said that the paralytic, I say to you, rise and take up your stretcher and go home. It's all about who Jesus is, that he has the authority to qualify us before God because he is in an exalted position. So Christ has the power to qualify us. He has the authority to qualify us, and he also has the sufficiency to qualify us. Look at the work of Christ described in verse 20 and 22. For through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. Verse 22, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He does the work of reconciliation. What's that all about? Well, in, Luke chapter, in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, we understand why there were these bloody sacrifices. They were pointing to Christ and his work. But it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes 
atonement for this bloody death giving life makes atonement. That was a picture of, of Christ. And, and here's the description in Hebrews 9.22. We move to the New Testament. It says that according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so we find out that shed blood is necessary for reconciliation, for forgiveness. And this is why Christ had to become flesh and die a bloody death. He had to become a man. He had to shed blood on the cross. He had to give up his life. That is important for us to think. This is important. This is a must. It wasn't sufficient just for Jesus to bleed, you know, cut himself. It wasn't sufficient to die without bleeding, like, you know, maybe hanging, gas chamber, electrocution. No, he had to and did die a bloody death. And it was that bloody death that brought reconciliation. And so he is able to do the work of mediation. Presenting us not as we are, in verse 21, alienated, hostile, evil deeds, but presenting us as we are in Christ, verse 22, holy and blameless. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 and 18, describes the work of of Christ and, and how it was sufficient for reconciliation. References Old Testament sacrifices and what Christ did By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, speaking of Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Verse 18, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Christ's work was sufficient. So, as you press through this coming week, you know, life can change in the twinkling of an eye. Where, where are you going to find confidence, assurance, safety? Well, remember, it's in Christ, in Christ alone, because he is fully God, and thus he has the power and authority and efficiency to make you righteous so you can be one of those righteous people to run to the tower of safety who is God himself. So this best safeguard against floundering in life and becoming overwhelmed by uncertainty of life, the stress of life, is confidence in the hope of the gospel. Confidence anchored in the comparable, incomparable Christ. God come in the flesh. He has the power to qualify us before God. He has the authority to qualify us before God. And he has the sufficiency to qualify us before God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your eternal word and that we have the opportunity to study it, to hear it, and now 
a desperate need to apply it. Uh, Father, I, I would pray first of all for any who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They, they would think upon him and the sufficiency that is found in him so that they can be righteous before God and, 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 and know God as that refuge in trouble. And those who, Father, are followers, if you help them not get so, wow, worried in this world we live in, but help them find their confidence in you, Lord, and the words that have been shared here today. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.